Hello and welcome to a Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and we're back this week with an ally of the many, the traverser of the underworld, the man himself. It's Ollie Deacon. How you doing, Ollie? I'm really good, thank you, mate. And you? I'm fantastic. I'm with you again, mate. We're going through Batman. This is it. This is this is the new series. Finally. <laughs> And yeah, we waited a while to get here. <laughs> waited, you know, you guys haven't seen it yet, but me and Ollie have been planning this for a while. We've had to, through my bad and disorganized man, I should have pre-recorded this a while ago. But you know, this is this is just how life goes in the the pandemic at the moment. Uh, but we're grateful for Ollie to be here because this is going to be um, one of my favorite series, I think, so far because there's so much depth to the characters we're going to be covering. So straight off the mark, straight in. We're going to be doing an overview today of Batman. And I'm going to start in by talking about the animated series, some of the animated, you know, overview of the Batman series. And I think, Ollie, I'd love to know from you personally, do you have a specific series or specific movie that comes to mind that's just like, bang, that's my favourite, I'm in? Well, I mean, there are a lot, obviously. Um, the the one that springs to mind, the one, that, the one that's been kind of in my head uh, a lot lately is the... Dark Knight Returns, which is the animated one that came out in, I think it came out in 2012, um, mm. and it's a two-part series. And the first part is um, that the story is is adapted from uh, Frank Miller's story, which came out in the 80s, which is called The Dark Knight Returns. And basically, Batman, he's older and he's been retired for about 10 years. And Bruce, and there's obviously echoes of um, of it in The Dark Knight Rises the film. Um, but basically, he's been retired for a while, but uh, Bruce Wayne hasn't moved on. He's not actually started to live. Uh, and Gotham has been falling to ruin for, well, basically since he left, because um, all the thugs knew that he'd gone. Um, and so the story picks up, and there's this new, there's this gang called the Mutants, and they're basically going around terrorizing Gotham, and they're led by this ruthless leader. Um, I won't spoil the story too much, although we probably will at some point in this, uh, in this podcast, but it, it's probably one of the better stories. I think it captures the, the spirit of Batman a lot better than, than a lot of other films have, I think. Um, partly because because it's not live action, you can still have the sort of fantasy elements. Um, and so Superman is a character in, in part two, um, and it's they, it's the story where they have a fight and it's where if you saw Batman v Superman the fights they have in that film is based on the fight they have in The Dark Knight Returns um, and, it, and it's just absolutely brilliant because Bruce he doesn't hold back he's not he's not a nice man um, and he absolutely annihilates Clark uh, or Superman. Is, so can, can I clarify as well, when he's fighting Superman, does he use the um, suit which has the yes. Krypton? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it, it is brilliant. Um, and, and it's even it's even the same shot. Um, if you remember in Batman v Superman, when Bruce fires the grenade launcher and, and Superman catches it and it explodes in his face, um, it's just, there's a similar shot in the comic book and the animated story. Um, except it's an arrow that's shot by Oliver Queen, who's the, the green arrow in the story. Oh, no way. Uh, do, he, do they team up in this at all, Batman and...? It, yeah, a little bit. Um, he, he, isn't in, he isn't featured in it too much, but he is part of the, the sort of the end game, uh, if you like. And yeah, and, and uh, Superman catches the arrow at the last second, 
um, and it's got a, a kryptonite tip, but it still explodes in his face. Um, and so then Bruce lays the beat down on him. So that's a fantastic. It's fucking brilliant. If, if you haven't seen it, it's it's fucking brilliant. I love it. And my my first thought from that, you said that Batman's spirit is captured, and I wanted to to ask, how would you define Batman's spirit? Because there's so many different depictions of it. I'm not really sure you could. I'm not really sure I could define it. Um, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of ideas I have, but I, I think the character is actually borderline. He, he's bordering on being an actual archetype, and so it has this element of where an element where the character is constantly evolving in the, the minds of the fans, but also actually in the, the stories that we see. Um, and so it's like you, you can't ever quite nail down the perfect element, the perfect character, but sometimes it can come close. And I, I just think that the whatever it is, whatever essence that I, I, I can get from it, it's, it's captured very well in The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, and likewise, it's also captured very well in Batman v Superman by Ben Affleck um, because he's Bruce Wayne as a character. He plays the, the part of a billionaire playboy. Um, he plays the part of a yeah, bit of a drunk, bit of a womanizer, um, not really taking too much responsibility, so on and so forth. Um, and Ben Affleck plays that really well in the story. But then the actual character of the Batman is you know it's the genius detective the inventor uh, crime fighter the martial artist um and a whole list of other traits and again ben affleck's batman captures it absolutely brilliantly um in my my less than humble opinion uh, is that the best cinematic fight scene or the best fight scene in cinematic history in my opinion is the fight the warehouse fight scene in batman with superman and the part part of the reason for that is because it captures the the gadgets and the skill and the brutality of the character of the Batman just absolutely perfectly. Because it starts out the the, the particular fight scene starts he starts using gadgets and he spreads everyone around, he creates loads of mayhem and distraction. And then he's just beating the fuck out of everyone. Um it's it's absolutely brilliant that that, that particular scene. Um yeah, so so the the actual character of Batman, I, nailing it down is very difficult, but there are certain elements that are done very well, uh, and obviously Christian Bale's is very good, um, but it's less accurate, I would say, than Ben Affleck's. But, yeah, I love I love what you you focused on there. Something that immediately comes to mind when I think of Batman and brutality. You sent you focused in on that word. This is why I'm excited to see the next Batman. You know, the the one that, you know, the 20, well, it was meant to be 2021, but, you yeah. know, it looks, the, the line when, and Robert Patterson is going to be playing him, and when he says, I am vengeance, and that scene where he's just like, bang, 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 it's the repetitive, <laughs> like, just brutality of that attack that I just thought to myself, that's Batman. Yeah. That's yeah. him right there. And yeah. there's a little bit of, I don't see that in Christian Bale's performance, and I know we're going to cover this in the, in the series, but in The Dark Knight Rises, it feels like he finally gets to that point right at the end of the movie, rather than in the entire series, which is kind of, like it feels kind of restrained 
in somewhere or another. So I think what I'm trying to get at here in the next sort of question I wanted to know was that in the animated series, do you feel that that brutality is shown because they have the ability to animate and they have no sort of bounds in in the real world sort of? Um, it's less so. And I think the reason for that is partly because the audience is intended to be children, mostly. Um, although there are, I did, I, I listened to um, an interview with the creators of, of the animated series a little while ago, and they said that they didn't, they didn't want to just do a, have a child's audience. They wanted something that um, adults could watch and enjoy as well. Um, and so I think that there's a limitation you have with, with uh, cartoon-like animation because you can't capture movement in the same way you can with, say, uh, animation like uh, CGI. You know, like the film Kung Fu Panda? Yeah. Like, brilliant, like, fighting um, in it. I don't think you can do that with drawing um, or with cartoon-like animation. So so the fighting is, is less of a, a draw, but I think the character development is very well established in the animated series. And I think, actually, the animated series is partly responsible for the idea that the modern generation might have of the character, um, because it, that's that was the inspiration behind a lot of the films, um, despite some of them being quite childish. Um, but uh, as I was saying, the the Dark Knight Returns is kind of an exception to that, I think, because it's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and although I haven't seen the Dark Knight Returns, I have seen a lot of the sort of movies around it. You know, you mentioned the that Batman's a little bit older in, in this series. It immediately makes me, reminds me of when we see um, the Joker when he's a little bit older and he appears on TV. And I can't remember which Batman movie, but it is one of the most that, brutal sort of versions of Batman and the Joker fighting each other. I don't know if you remember that at all. Yeah, that, that, that's the one. It's in Dark Knight Rises, the, the Dark Knight Returns. Oh. Um, it's when they, they, they end up at a fairground um, and... Joker has just shot loads of people, uh, loads of innocent people, and Batman is just um, beating them up. Um, and the Joker stabbed him a few times and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's that one. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and it is, it, it, for, for me personally, that end scene, it's almost as if, you know, I don't want to say he won, but it does feel like the Joker won in, in some way or another because... It was. It felt like Batman had lost in the sense that he hadn't gained the higher ground. He hadn't captured him. It was like, you know, in in a you know quoting a different movie, but the Killing Joke in in one way or another, you know, in that sort of way. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, linking to that, do you, do you feel that you were you felt like me? Did you feel that sort of like ah that that wasn't the right ending for me, or were you were you okay with it? No, I was okay with that actually, and the reason the reason I think that is because um, it, it's the the little conversation they're having as they're fighting. Is the Joker says how how many people have I killed or you know, something? And, uh, Bat Bruce knows the answer straight away, um, and it's because he kept counts of all the people. So so from Bruce's perspective, he is responsible for all of the people that Joker has killed because he has. He's always been released and he's always gone out of Arkham Asylum and stuff. Um, and so he feels like he's responsible for that. And so he, he bears the burden of that. And so I think he's at the end of his tether and he just realises that there is actually no hope for the Joker. There's no rehabilitation. And so the only solution <laughs> is to just kill him. Um, 
because he says to uh, the Robin, um, it's not one of the older Robins, it's a girl. Uh, he says to her, there's nothing in the Joker that I can't fix with my hands. And so I think he meant to kill him because obviously he, he breaks his neck, um, but he doesn't actually kill the Joker. Uh, yeah. He kills himself. Uh, but it's he, he drove him to that point, I think. So it's, uh, yeah. And do, do you think we ever I, see I that see again? Defeat. Second. Do, do, do you ever think, because obviously that's like a super, as you just said, for the Batman's perspective, he's counting every death. And we see this in all of the video games when it comes down to the Batman. He's consistently feels responsible for, you know, the deaths of others. Do you think that there's any other sort of film or any other character depiction of the Batman that shows that sort of, I think the word I'm looking for is responsibility for the deaths of others. Well, I think you, you could probably look at it as a kind of desperation. Um, Cause I think he kind of realizes that he's not, it's not necessarily that he's failed, but his, his ultimate mission hasn't actually worked. Um, and I think another portrayal of that is in the Batman v Superman, in Ben Affleck's version of Batman, because obviously he does, he kills people in that film. Um, and the, the, the film got quite a bad theatrical release. Uh, it wasn't a very good film when it first came out of cinema, but the director's cut is actually brilliant. Um, and partly, it's partly because there's more explanation of the story. That, I mean, obviously there's an extra half an hour of, detail and stuff um but there's more excuse me um there's more narrative there's more dialogue and some of the things that um alfred says jeremy irons um what one of the things he says that sticks with me is that uh when batman first sees superman fighting against god you know, in the sky literally seeing god and the devil fight um, but to him, he doesn't see a difference between the two. He only sees the potential for absolute mayhem. Um, and he knows that Superman could destroy the entire planet effectively if he wanted to. Um, and, it's, and he knows that there would be nothing that humanity could do to stop it because there's no weapon that could do anything about it. And so part of the feeling he gets from that is desperation because he's, he feels like he's helpless. Um, and one of the monologues that Alfred has, he says that the feeling of desperation makes good men turn cruel. And they, they explore that a little bit uh, with, you hear sort of stories of, yeah, at Daily Planet, when Clark is doing his day job, you hear stories of the Batman being really, really brutal to the criminals in Gotham, even to the point of branding them with a, a, bat. Yeah, <laughs> a yeah. burning bat. Um, and it's like he, he's, he's stepped it up a level. Uh, and it's like he no longer cares if anyone thinks he's good or not. He's just got his mission. And he's going to stop it. He's going to stop at nothing to achieve it. Um, and so, and so that, that kind of idea, I think, because he's, he's fully prepared to just kill any criminal, but he's also prepared to kill Superman. Um, and I think it's because he, he's just feels helpless. And he's just like, well, there is no way to fight this other than killing him and so i think i trailed off there <laughs> no I, I, I think what you've done there is clarify something really key to the batman character as well and you've answered perfectly what 
that feeling of responsibility. The reason I think, from what you've just said there to me, I think the reason why Batman becomes cruel is not only his feel of helplessness, but his symbol is fear. That's how he controls the criminals around him. That's how he, you know, takes on armies and sit, you know, of, of villains. The problem with Bat with Superman is that man has nothing to fear. And so Batman's symbol doesn't have an effect. You know, when we when we get into the series of of the Batman, you know, movies by Christopher Nolan, is that that's one of the first things we learn about Batman is how does he become the person he is? It's, it's through his how does he transfer that ability to have the gangsters actually fear somebody? Um, and it's through symbols. And I think the reason why he becomes more cruel is because he's trying to up that ante because he knows no other way other than to do it like that. Um, but I think something that I was going to ask as well is that with that being said, the Batman isn't necessarily cruel from what I've seen in other depictions of him. And so it's really interesting to see Ben Affleck sort of character i love jeremy irons by the way because jeremy irons performance of alfred is fantastic yeah uh, very raw very rough around the edges and and, and i felt like you the <clears throat> movie got a lot of slack and i think because it wasn't well refined as a as a film they had some fantastic characters that didn't necessarily have that ability to be a good film overall um nonetheless what I would like to see in the future and what I'm hoping from Robert Patterson is to have that raw brutality that he shows in the, in the trailer and to have that symbol. Like it's, it's really intriguing to see him, for instance, that some, some things like you said, like the gadgets, you know, we don't see this in the Nolan films very much. We see like, you know, Bruce has got the gun and it goes up and there's yeah. that whole scene of, um, why are you Batman? Why can't I be like you? I've got the, you know, the the little uh, pretender because he's got like yeah. the, the shield on and stuff like that. Um, and I, I don't think we see enough of those gadgets. Do you have a favourite one? I was going to ask that actually. Do you have one that comes to mind? Favourite gadget? I mean, I mean, the the best one that I can see, apart from the cowl he has in Batman v Superman, is the voice changer and everything. It's pretty fucking awesome. But the, the it's the the Batmobile that he's got. It's just it looks it looks mean it looks epic um, and it's like it, it's yeah that that's the best one I think personally. Yeah. Did you? But I, um, I do like I like the design of his grapnel gun in the, um, the Batman vs Superman film as well because the 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 in Batman Begins his grapnel gun it doesn't look like you could actually hold on to it while it was pulling you away but in in the Batman vs so Superman film it's it's got like a little a little hook here so you can kind of you can make sure you hold it if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Yeah, because obviously it's carrying your entire body weight when you're like shooting it up. Yeah. So it's got to be sort and of you're wearing like... a glove. Yes, exactly. So yeah. So, <laughs> you know, with with that in mind, I want to ask you this as well because if the Batmobile is your favorite gadget, did you ever play the last um, Arkham Knight video game? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. What, what did you think of the whole sort of mechanics? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really Blowing like stuff it. up. Yeah, definitely. I, I really liked the uh, the gliding system in that game as well. I thought being being able to fly around and like boost yourself up to like just fly almost virtually half the city. That was that was brilliant. It's a good game that. 
really yes and the it whole, showed that detail that you're brilliant. looking for it did to you know i was going to ask you about this is that there's some seriously good villains in batman um and i don't think we've had apart from the joker some you know i think tom hardy did a good representation of bane but you know the real bane he's like a friggin absolute weapon you know in, in yeah. one way or another, <laughs> yeah. isn't he he's he's yeah. 250 pounds of lean muscle ready to kill anyone in his, <laughs> his path but um yeah. do, do you think do you see a a villain like penguin for instance who's going to be the one of the main focuses in the next um batman do you do you think that'll be interesting yeah. to see how he's played out yeah definitely definitely because i think the the, the first time we saw uh, Penguin in live action was the I think it was Batman Returns like 1991 I think or 1990. Yeah, the, the it silly one. Yeah, the silly one. It, it wasn't very good, and I think it was because it was kind of made to be a bit silly, um, and it was kind of made to be a bit childish, and it just wasn't. It, it didn't. It, it didn't capture the essence for me, at least. Um, the the essence of the story, but the the Penguin is a good one because he's kind of like this criminal boss um kind of like this mafia like boss he he basically supplies guns and drugs and stuff um he's not like the typical hard man um every, every single time here in batman fight he always loses horribly um uh, but he's he's like uh i don't know how you say it really he's like walter white <laughs> in breaking bad yes you know, he's, not, he's, a master he's not a tough mind, guy isn't he? yes exactly yeah he's a supplier and that that's actually something that i was gonna to add on is that um the penguin in no man's land the audiobook that you recommended it it has this really nice description of how he's almost like a commander like there's no physical prowess to him but he's just tactic a tactical genius and how he's able to understand how to control others and put them out like pieces on a chessboard and i was gonna ask you do, do you see that in his character there's like that level of like ability to to move pieces and and batman's like playing him each time they battle yeah something like that definitely uh obviously not in the in the batman returns um, no <laughs> uh, not in the film but yeah the, the the character is definitely definitely described that that way you criminal mastermind yeah um, and very intelligent and I think that's what I'm looking for in, in the villains. It's got to be believable, doesn't it? That's why yeah. when we watch The Killing Joke or Batman Returns or The Dark Knight, there's like that believability in how savage these villains are because there are no bounds. Chaos is their agent. Um, and it's the ability to to show that on screen that I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, but, you know, obviously the Penguin's another one. There's so many more out there. Do you have one that you specifically, I gave you an example there. Do you have one that you're like, yes, I want to see them next? The, in my opinion, Batman's best villain uh, is, is actually Bane. Um, he, he's the best one, I think. The reason the reason is, um, maybe when we get to the, the Dark Knight Rises, we'll, we'll cover this in more detail, but Bane is basically, uh, he basically is Batman. He's every bit as physically capable, and he has all the gadgets and the intelligence and the resources and so on and so forth. The difference is he's willing to kill people. Yes. And that's kind of it. That's the only... So it's like with Batman, there's a limit, which is killing. And yeah. with Bane, there is no limit. And that's part of the reason he's so good, I think. In the, when, when, when Bane was first introduced in the Nightfall story arc, um, 
which came out in like the early 90s, I think. He was described as this, he's an orphan who is in prison uh, for a crime that his father committed. Um, and the, the, the island, it, it was a small island nation in like South America somewhere uh, called Santa Prisca. Um, and the prison he was in was called Pina Dura, Dura or something, which stands for like hard time or hard things or something like that. And he has this little, he had this little cuddly bear, which he kept a knife in. Um, and he called it a seafood. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's fucking cool. Um, and he, because he was raised in prison, um, yeah. he learned to defend himself at a very young age. So he's a really good fighter. And he also, because he, he was put in solitary confinement for a long, long time. So he did a lot of meditation, a lot of workouts, and he made himself into this hyper strong, you know, unbreakable will character. Um, and he basically became the king, the alpha of this prison. Um, but every night when he went to sleep, he had this nightmare of a bat flying towards him. Um, no so when he heard about the Batman, he thought that that was what that was. That was. And he heard that he basically thought that, that Batman was to Gotham what Bane was to his prison. And so he wanted to knock Batman off the top spot. Um, so he breaks out, goes to Gotham, and he basically engages in like guerrilla warfare against Batman for like a year. Um, and if you imagine that Batman's been around for a couple of years at this point, and he's locked up a lot of criminals and you know, saved a lot of people. Um, and Bane basically comes along and just undoes all of his hard work. So Batman, over the course of the year, gets really, really, really tired and really run down. And then they have a fight. Um, and that's when Bane, there's this iconic image of, of this ridiculously massive looking Bane lifting Batman up and breaking his back. Um, so Bruce is then in a wheelchair <laughs> after that for a while. Um, but it's a really good story. Really, really good story. I, I remember been... that that bit that you're talking about there is because Bruce talks about it in like one of his diaries within No Man's Land where he says that oh, he was okay. so unprepared he would never let that happen again. It was that unpreparedness to fight Bane because Bane's just prowess is, is, is madness. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating that you described him to be like they're so similar and that there's only one line that can be drawn to define the difference between the two of them. Do you, do you think the writers did that deliberately to have a counterpart that reflected that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I and I think um, the the two the two most iconic villains for me are are um, the Joker and, and Bane. And I think the the Nolan trilogy they did it in the right order by having the Joker first and then they have Bane. And the part excuse me, part of the reason for that is because I think that in in the Dark Knight. The Joker kind of represents, uh, he represents complete chaos, right? Whereas Batman stands for complete order. Yeah. Um, and Batman's way kind of wins because he, people have been inspired to, to be that, uh, to, to go along with what's good, um, and not necessarily what's bad, what feels good. Um, where am I going with this? I, I, I had a better trail that I was trying to follow there. Uh, you know what? Then, I was hoping you were going to say something along the lines of that the Bane represents ordered chaos. Well, it, it kind of is. It kind of is. It, it's like the, if Batman went too far, that's what Bane would kind of would kind of represent. Um, and it's certainly if you imagine that the, the character of the Batman is, is a character of 
Bruce Wayne's psyche, right? And when at the end of the Dark Knight, the the character has to leave, so it's just Bruce Wayne for the next seven years, or whatever. Um, and during that time, the Batman character is obviously still in his mind, and it's kind of developing, developing, developing because it can't ever completely destroy it. Um, and so what happens eventually is then it then comes out again, but it's projected in a way that is uncontrolled, but it has all the discipline of the Batman character. And so it's like this this strange mishmash of complete order and complete chaos. Mm. And it's like if if someone with if you imagine Bane is actually kind of like Hitler, right? Uh, in a sense, just thinking of fly here. Um, on the fly, sorry. Um, Hitler was an enormous fan of discipline, right? And so like he you know watched like four or five and he can stand in certain positions, but he would, he would, you know, work, 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 focus, focus, focus. And that's kind of what Bane represents. But what he is aiming at is complete destruction. Mm. And it's like, if you had, if that's what you're aiming at, and you had the discipline, the will, and you had the ability to enact it all, you would need a really strong will. And that's kind of, I mean, I'm going to crowd off there, I don't think. In part of that example as well, I'd like to point out that Hitler was also addicted to like cocaine and steroids. So that's a nice link between the two of them. So, you know, there's that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I think that's, well. you know, that's, that's Bane's downfall, isn't it? It's his addiction as well as his um, like thoughts of just the, the, the world around him is just purely a hierarchy uh, and that he would just forever be in control. And I think that Batman's intellect was that after realizing that he was, you know, he was breakable, he could put himself back together. Because there are definite points in Batman's like journey, I'll put it, because he is a, he is a hero, isn't he? he is, he's like the archetypical, like sort of what I would class as, and I don't know if you know who he is, but he's almost like Vegeta in one way or another from Dragon Ball Z. In the sense that he he's he's basically a terrible person, but at the same time he's also like a brilliant person. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, I wouldn't actually call him a hero. Yeah. I would actually call him a villain um, oh. personally. Um, but that's that's because he's not he's not a good man. No. He is actually a really really bad person. <laughs> um, well, he just you know, put, if you saw your parents die in front of you, I don't think you'd be well, a good person either. So well, this is it. This is it. So I actually have some thoughts on that. Um, if we were to just step, skip away from Bane for a, for yeah, a no, 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 Ch chuck it, yeah, yeah. So if you imagine that, psychologically speaking, your parents kind of give you values in your life, and as the as your brain as your brain physically grows, mm. you experience uh, what I'm trying to say. You psychologically develop yes. um, around the values you are given. In, mm. And that's in the environment you have, um, and so the environment you have, you are you are a reflection of your environment. Yes, um, you're a sponge. You soak up all of the information. Yes, exactly. And the sponge forms itself based on what information it gets. Yes. Um, for Bruce Wayne, his parents died before he could get anything from them, and so he didn't actually have an ideal in a sense. Um, and so, so it's almost like when Bruce was seven or eight years old, God effectively died and left the universe, right? And so the little boy, the psyche, was on its own. 
and it had no it had no up or down, no light or dark. Um, and it's obviously a Nietzschean ideal. If you're, well, it's something John Peterson might say: is that when your ideal is dead, you are in hell, and there's no. You're you're at least in hell until you form your own ideal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I had some notes. Um, it might sound it might sound a little bit dry without without some speech. And, um, no, bring bring it on, man. I want to hear about and 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 something I want to add there is that Batman because he doesn't have an ideal but he surrounds himself consistently with the complete opposite, the hell, on a regular basis. You know what I mean? Like, if you yeah. don't have an ideal and you just consistently see hell on a regular basis, you're going to drive yourself a little bit insane because you don't have that ability to understand the other side. So I, I was intrigued to see if that your notes say that or if there's that, like, you know. Yeah, it, it certainly it was certainly get there. Um... There was there was one thing I can't remember though if it's in Batman's No Man if it's in the No Man's Land audiobook or if it's in another one I read, but Bruce he he has this monologue in his in his head, and he does effectively recognise that if he hadn't have been a billionaire um, and had all the economic resources that you could have, anyone could ever hope for, that when his parents died he would have quite easily just become another criminal. Um, obviously when when Joe. Joe Chill is the, the murderer. Yes. He knows he knows that he could have easily become that. Um, it's just that the circumstances he was born into, which the, the billions of dollars um, and his, you know, his trust fund, uh, <laughs> it was because of that that he, he didn't turn into you know, something else. Um, I forgot where I'm going. So I'll, I'll just stop. But do, you, do you get what I mean there? I do. And I, I think that... <laughs> It's hard not to argue with because obviously you don't want to say that money makes the world world go brown. But in somewhere or another, the higher the, I think the statistic is is that the better your surroundings, whether they be financial or um, sort of environmental in the in the positive manner of like parents and and who you're surrounded by, the more likely you are to be successful. And I think that's sort of supported by you know the the top ten wealthiest people on earth being. Uh, you know, surrounded by loving people, people who've raised them to a point to to become better people, um, which can be backed by, you know, Bill Gates and all of these top 500. So I think Bruce Wayne as well, the fact that he had that and that he had Alfred, yeah. who he does say, even though he never admits that he's his father, he is a figure to look to for advice yeah. in some way or another. Yeah. Um, so do you think that Alfred is although he's not an ideal do you think he keeps him within does he have an effect in keeping him on the right track yeah i think so i, I think um he yeah like i say he keeps him on the right track he gives him he kind of keeps him grounded in a sense um and and there's also the um the fact that bruce never has to become desperate yes um because desperation does drive a lot of violence. And obviously, he does say this in, in Batman Begins, I think, where he's, he's certain assumptions about the simple right and wrong of, uh, of good and bad or criminal behavior and stuff. And so he first, you know, he steals so that he doesn't starve. Um, and, you know, there's that Aladdin moment where he's eating a bit of fruit and then gives it to the kid. Um, and, and so I think he, he starts to understand just how lucky he was. Um, but at the same time, he is still psychologically lost. Yes. Um, 
it's, it it's also it. that's linked really well and we're going to cover this in batman begins anyway but when um the gang boss i forgot his name off i think it began with an f um Carmine Falcone. Falcone, thank you. He says you'd have to go a thousand miles for anyone not to know your name. That right there. Although Falcone didn't mean to unlock Bruce's mind, but he did in some way or yeah. another. And I think what you're describing there, that idea that if he hadn't had it and it, you know, he immediately starts to realize that because he's like, damn, you know, he gives his coat to that man on the corner. He starts to realize that the surroundings he's had up till now they've given they've sheltered him from the world a little bit in a sense of somewhere or another um which like you said is a good thing but does the wealth also build arrogance within bruce in somewhere or another well he he plays the part uh that it does um because like like you say like i said before he does in in the comic sandwich he plays the part of putting that playboy um, he he sort of, he drinks um, I think it's ginger beer uh, in bottles and he's sort of carrying ginger beer around with him all the time and so it looks like he's constantly drinking um, and so in, and obviously it's kind of the idea is to push away suspicion that he's the Batman yes um, but he he has to kind of live up to this not necessarily idiot but he's he's live up to the idea of, of being trust funded it's just like no responsibility. You know, they're just carefree. It doesn't nothing really matters. I'll just pay for it. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, I, I see. I saw that in Bruce. I always obviously Bruce isn't the real person. Bruce is merely a mask that, you know, it, he's there is no Bruce Wayne. There is only Batman in my mind. I don't know if you agree with that at all, but it. it yeah, to me, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It's it, like Bruce. It, it, it to to me it's it's batman was created the night his parents died you know in somewhere or another he saw the world taken from him like you said his ideals are gone and although batman isn't a hero i don't necessarily want to classify him as a villain either because he does have some redeeming traits in the sense that he has this unbelievable um sort of justification to save people and wanting to, to help others um, but I wanted to know as well from you is that does that split personality sort of represent the reason why he isn't that hero that that inability to just be that one person yes I, I think it's because he he is broken and he cannot be put back together um, there is he, he he can't find a way to integrate the, the in Jungian ideas the perfect life is one where everything is integrated properly so everything is working towards the same goal um, and so that would require that would mean like your biology your desires your social situation and so on and so forth all of it is is um, cohesive. Right, it, and it all works, and it go, tries to travel in the same direction. Um, but Batman is Batman is in a lot of ways counterintuitive to the life that Bruce Wayne would want to live, um, and that would be the kind of carefree, you know, billionaire playboy trust trust fund baby son support. Yes. Um, so yeah, he he is he is broken completely, um, but he he knows that as well. So one of the one of the things he does when he takes the 
boy wonder uh, Robin when he takes him on as his, his sort of apprentice. He does try to fix him because he he knows he knows the the feeling that Dick Grayson went through because his, his parents killed, um, and he didn't want him to break completely. But it did kind of happen. But Dick was actually able to leave uh, to live a relatively normal life, despite the fact that he also became Nightwing. I was going to ask you about that actually as well because Night Nightwing to me it represents what Bruce could have been if he hadn't let Batman be totally there altogether and you've put that perfectly together I don't need to put any more on that so do you think that his like although they're not his kids that you know he adopts a lot of people who resemble who he is you know he he sees like the broken pieces and he wants to put them back together do you think that the broken try to to fix and the you know yeah that that sort of like resembles that to, to in batman is that he's a fixer he has to he has to try and put the pieces back together yeah i i would say that um there is uh, do you remember that that book king warrior magician lover yes love it um the writer of that book robert moore mm. robert moore or robert green yeah robert robert moore yep he, I'm pretty certain it's him that says only the wounded healer heals. Um, and there's a lot of ideas that, that a lot of the people who become psychologists and become whatever it is, you know, in, in attempt to try and fix people, there's something in them that's broken. Yes. Um, and so in, again, in Jungian terms, they are trying to fix themselves by fixing the world outside. Um, but they never can because they can never identify fully what it is inside them that is actually broken. So, so yeah. But but through them, people. Okay, I'm gonna add add to that. Perfect. How do you think Batman could have fixed himself? Well, <laughs> tricky one. Because um, it, it's I, easy for us to to sit sit here and just like you know move around yeah. it. But I think that's the the thing that I'm looking at at the moment is that you know what I, what, I think. If he had posited an ideal yeah. and then not been able to become it, that might have fixed it. But the fact that he was actually able to become Batman, I think that meant that his, his ideal is like it wasn't high enough or something. You know, it, was, it wasn't transcendent enough. It wasn't unreachable enough for him. Um, and because he was actually able to ascend in his psychologically speaking to the level of what he was thinking he couldn't go any further because anytime he detracted from it he would punish himself because he could actually get back there if that makes sense i 100 and so i'm gonna go from take you from there as well that to me perfectly sort of links onto the fact that batman consistently believes that he can sort of hold gotham on his own you know, he can do things on his own. He's Batman. I'm, I'm the, and that, to me, is ego. And so do you think that Batman in itself, he's reached this level and it almost, he's, he believes he's, I don't want to say a god, but there's a level of demigod in the ability to be able to control a city like that. And so do you think that Batman reached that level and because he reached that level and he has no higher sort of ability to go up it's like that level of ego and arrogance is created because of that and how he treats sort of his subordinates and other heroes that he encounters throughout the story 
it very well could be. Uh, I'm not sure I can fully answer that, to be honest, but it, it does it does kind of lead me to the, the notes I might have made. But I, I can see what you mean by that. Um, but he, he does become very arrogant. He's also very stubborn. Yes. Um, it's, that it's that like, can be easily mixed up, can't it, as well? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, there, and there's almost no limit. To, you know, it, it, it's, it's obviously fantasy. And so yes. obviously impossible things happen. But he does seem to be able to handle pretty much everything that's ever thrown at him. There was one. There was one comic book I read a couple of years ago, where him and Jim Gordon were on the roof of the GCPD, and they were just talking. And then they look up because they hear an explosion, and there's a plane that's about to crash into, I think it's just into the river, in Gotham River. Um, and Jim's looking up, and he sees it happening, and he turns around, and Batman is already gone. Um, and within like within like two pages. Uh, Batman just says over the radio, Jim, I'm on the plane. And, <laughs> <laughs> Typical Batman. <laughs> and Jim, Jim is just like, you're, you're what? Okay, of course you are. Um, and, he, and he's literally like on the plane, on the wing of the plane on the outside. And he's, um, I think he uses grapple, grapple gun to try and lift one of the, uh, what do you call it? The, the rudders to try yes. and steer the better. Um, so that was quite funny. And it's like, that's, like, that's amazing. Nothing, there's seemingly nothing he can ever overcome. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that that was brilliant. That one. That's a fantastic that example, mate. So uh, good. <laughs> and and I love that. Um, that's a consistent theme between the relationship between Jim Gordon and Batman. Is that you know Batman's like a shadow. He just sort of disappears and reappears. Uh, and I've seen this throughout the movies. And I don't know about you and the animations and that. He just sneaks up behind Jim Gordon and just says, I am here. And uh, he's out of nowhere. It's like, oh, Batman, you're here. <laughs> just, uh, I love that about him. He, he has that ability to, to, to disappear and reappear, uh, which it, it's sort of shown in the movies or in some way or another, in, you know, in the sense that, you know, I think Christian Bell does a good, you know, they show a good job of, of him disappearing and reappearing. But yeah. Yeah. The detective part, is something that I've not seen properly portrayed personally. Um, I was going to ask you about that because that's a key aspect of Batman for me in the games, in the animated series. W what do you think would have to be done in movies to, to sort of portray that properly? Um, I think it would be something like solving a series of murders, mm. uh, you know, something like that, where he's looking at real evidence and. I, I would imagine that something, if you could take inspiration from another film like The Bone Collector uh, or like one of the Alex Cross films or one of the Sherlock Holmes films, yes. I think you could probably piece together a good storyline. Um, so maybe that's what we'll see with the, the, uh, the Batman that comes out next year. Um, but Ben Affleck's character was quite good, uh, I thought, because he, you know, he's doing this research with his, you know, supercomputer. Um, because he found the kryptonite and you know, did, a, did, the, did his investigation. Yes. Because um, there's, there's only so far you can go, isn't there, with, uh, exactly. with the investigation? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and obviously, he you know, hacked into Lex Luthor's servers at his home and all that. So it, it would be, it would have been difficult, I think, to show it in that film because of all the other stuff that was going on. Um, yeah. But this next one, because it's because the enemy, I believe, is the Riddler. Um, obviously, the Riddler's going to be leaving clues and stuff because he wants to kind of 
it, you know, as an artist, he wants to be seen to be better. So I'm, I, excuse me, I am hoping that there is a Holmesian kind of plot running through, you know, where, where he, where he either solves clues, uh, or like Sherlock, he perceives things that other people can't, because um, that is one of the things that he, one of the things you see in a lot of the other animated uh, comics and stuff. There's one episode of, um, <laughs> I forget which series it is. It might be like Batman Brave and the Bold or something. It's like one of the, one of the much more childish ones. Um, but he comes into, he, he comes across Sherlock Holmes. As <laughs> really? the, actual, the actual fictional character Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, and Sherlock, he sort of walks around him um, and sort of, you know, analyzes him. So he basically produces that he's a, a billionaire, um, billionaire playboy of sorts. And Bruce just says Sherlock Holmes, I presume, <laughs> uh, and it's kind of like a it's like a Holmesian kind of deduction that I I would love to see in the, in the new film. I totally agree, and I think that meticulous ability to pick out points on somebody, um, I'd love to see that in the sense that the Riddler has like a picture with a splatter of blood, and he he looks at the picture and it's like that blood pattern means something that takes him to like Bloodhaven or something. I don't know, you know, just chucking <laughs> yeah. stuff out there. Um, obviously, good, there's only so much you can do in one film, yeah. but like you said, it would be fantastic. Maybe even a, a mini series. We we take a Batman character, and and maybe they'll do that because I think that there's definitely some money to be made as clearly shown by Netflix, Disney and everyone else at the moment absolutely, uh, to absolutely. have a fantastic series. You know, if Robert Patterson wants to do it, you know, he's got himself set up for a while. If he, if he did that um, financially, that wouldn't be an issue. And I think it would be a great way to get fans who are into Batman like us uh, to, to see a more expanded universe that isn't like, I don't want to, you know, crap on gotham the tv series at all no but, crap all over it, mate crap you know i fucking i i couldn't stand it i actually i could not stand it <laughs> i mean uh, I, you know in, in fewer words ollie's put exactly how i feel about it as well but you know um it's just one of those things where stuff goes sideways <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh we're, we're hearing from uh wb lawyers anytime soon now uh <laughs> anyway <laughs> um yes so it would be nice to see a series that gives justice to the batman universe and Definitely. does it justice and does it yeah it? Um, and because you, you take example the example of game of thrones for, for um just throw, throw the spotlight on it you had eight seasons of a incredibly long running narrative that it didn't tie itself together very well because they ran out of source material. But with the Batman, you have 80 years of comic book history and lore and mythology and stuff. And so you could do, you know, you, you could conceivably do, it wouldn't need to be 20 episodes long. You could conceivably do eight episodes per season. Um, and that would satisfy a lot of a lot of Batman fans if you could get the if you could capture the essence of the character properly and of the story properly, um, you you could do it. And I think it's brilliant because you can, with uh, long running narratives, you can get into such detail 
um, and you can explore you can explore individual characters so much more than you can with a one and a half hour or a two hour film. Um, okay, certainly over multiple seasons, because obviously the <coughs> they, they did this very well with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, where a lot of the characters went through a lot of different changes, um, and you you have this one character who basically never changes throughout the whole story and that, that would be Steve Rogers in yes. Universe. but that could also be Batman in the Batman you know I don't know what they could call it they call it the Batman files or something like that you know? and they could be like that, that would be sick I'd love that yeah that'd be so good uh, and you could have all of the they've obviously proven that it works with you know Daredevil Jessica Jones Punisher uh, not the other two because they weren't very good in my opinion um, but also one division, which I've not seen yet, but I've heard is, is really good. You're in uh, for a treat, bud. You're in for a treat. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, yes. So yeah, I, I I think that film, as a your, your typical medium of telling a story, I think it's kind of on its way out. Um, it's not this ever going to die because it, it never would die because it is nice to just sit down and watch and watch a single story that is is encapsulated in one two hour slot. Yes. But for people like me, who like, I really like the character of the Batman, but there isn't enough, um, there isn't enough of it. Like, I can't get enough, if that makes sense. Yes. Other than just to rewatch all of the films over and over again. Yes. So that would get really boring really quickly. <laughs> it does, yeah. And, and also, I also don't want to ruin it for myself. Um, yes. But if there's a long running TV series, you know, five seasons, eight episodes each, hour long, that had, yeah. I won't belabor the point, but you get the idea. It would be. Oh, I would love that. Uh, I yeah. think. And then that... they could do the same with Superman and Flash and Wonder Woman, and and then tie they, it all together with the Justice League. They have proven that with the Flash and Green Arrow. Green Arrow and Flash did get a lot of like traction when they mm. they created it originally. So you know there there is that. Uh, my my first thought as soon as you said series. I thought for the Joker, we have Mark Hamill's voice and then we have a stunt double who just plays <laughs> for the role. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Like that <laughs> mad cackle. Uh, you just can't reproduce it. It's just so good. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Isn't it? I wonder I wonder which, which actor could actually play the Joker. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix did a good job. He's um, just too I, expensive. I like... Let's be honest. He's just so, <laughs> so expensive. It would just be crazy. Yeah. I, I would like him actually to be the... Joker, because I, I, I fig, kind of figured out a way that the that film could fit into the DC universe. It can, yeah. Because there's a, I think it's in the, in the in the Killing Joke. The Joker says, "If I have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice." I think, and it's like he just imagines imagines fantasies and stuff. And it would be cool if that film was because at the end of the film, he was in Arkham Asylum. He was. Um, and so it'd be cool if if he was actually in. Arkham Asylum for the entirety of that film, and he was just imagining his, uh, you know, a, a backstory that didn't exist, and he just played it all out in his mind, and he became this wonderful hero that everybody loved. Um, that that plays in so well to the Joker's character as well, doesn't it? It would, yeah, just, yeah. He just loves an audience. He wants people to <laughs> to adore him and and see his <laughs> maniacal ways of joking and and playing this performance. It's so good. I loved it. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you. Do you? Because obviously, for for me, my favorite Batman voice would be from the video games, um, from all of the Arkham games, because it's like that Kevin proper Conan. deep, 
yeah thank you and yeah. um and then mark hamill's voice for the joker but like you say it would have to be probably for me because the griminess and the down like you say the down to earthness of arthur flick uh jack jacqueline phoenix just has that ability to to perform do you have people who you're immediately like you know you've said jacqueline and um, jacqueline phoenix i don't know how I, you can pronounce that properly joaquin, joaquin thank you joaquin. I think that's terrible. Nice, <laughs> Can't run a podcast yeah. nowadays without sounding like an idiot. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, do you would who would you have apart from Robert Patterson, who's obviously going to be up and coming? Who would you have playing Batman? I I would really like to see Ben Affleck play Batman again. I, yeah. I thought he was the best the best on screen Batman we've had. Um, the trouble with the character is that you need someone who is larger than life. And, and by that, I mean someone who is actually physically massive. Um, it kind of has to look like a bodybuilder. Um, and Ben Affleck, he's, he looks fucking good. Um, and he, I think he's six foot three or something, so he's, he's very tall anyway. Um, and he's also got to have a chin um, because you need the, the cowl, obviously. It's got to, yes. you know, it's got to have like a Judge Dredd kind of, <laughs> kind of Dude. chin. My immediate thought was um, the guy who played Aemir from Lord of the Rings. Oh. Uh, yeah. Carl Urban. I Carl think. Urban. Oh, mate. Yeah. Just have the chin and everything. Just yeah. his Judge Dredd voice. He, he would be good. Yeah, he, he would be good. And he'd certainly have a look at Bruce Wayne as well because um, he, he's symmetrical. And I, I don't know how tall he is, but I don't think he looks like a bodybuilder, though. I've not, I've not seen him in his shirt or anything. So he, I'm not it, sure, recently, but... he, he's gotten bigger for the role of um, that superhero killing series. Um, I think he played Billy the Butcher. That's it, yeah. And he, you know, I can imagine him just getting jacked and just getting that width. Um, that would be fascinating to see him playing that as well. So those are two really cool calls. Ben Affleck, as much as I'd love to see him again, I don't think that he would take it up just based off getting criticised. I mean, there's only so much somebody can take, you know, from from. The yeah, movie. it's a, it's a shame really because it was. In my opinion, it was a brilliant film, but only the director's cut, the theatrical version, wasn't, wasn't very good. But based yeah, on that, that, I don't know. I don't know who else would be. It, it would also. There's a joke in Deadpool two, where he says the he says the characters that he's looking for they have to be young enough to carry the franchise for ten to twelve years, and so you would need someone who is like thirty years old. Yes, they need to be have a bit of maturity. Uh, but they'd also need to be young enough that they can they can do it until they're forty five, so that it can be you know every year. Is that a joke year. on Wolverine by chance? <laughs> well, he 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 fucking lasted well. He was he was twenty eight. Hugh Jackman's steroid cycle must have been freaking <laughs> crazy to get that ripped in the Wolverine. Just friggin' madness. Whatever he did, someone else needs to do for the for the Batman. Yeah. But and and why why wouldn't he? Like if you're in Hollywood. You're playing, you know, larger than my character anyway. You're getting millions of dollars. You've probably got the best doctors, the best nutrition. Just fucking take loads of steroids, mate. Just do it. Well, you can look at I don't know if you've been keeping up at the moment, but Chris Hemsworth for his next role, I think he's playing Hulk Hogan. So he's having to get oh, yeah. massive at the moment. And you can just tell the trend is just jumping through <laughs> his system, just fucking crazing up because he just <laughs> looks huge. Um, anyway, off topic there, but um, yeah. that was a great, you know, sort of 
dissection of the different characters there. Um, and I was going to ask as well, based on the future of, of how the Batman, because we went from having nothing back in the early 2000s. I remember watching this on TV and watching, you know, looking at Batman thinking such a cool character. Do you, do you feel that it's been a bit oversaturated, in, you know, over the years, as much as we love it? Um, I, I think the Tim Burton uh, films, as, as good as they were, as entertaining as they were, I think they damaged the idea of Batman mm. um, because it kind of, it made everything silly. Yeah. You know, it just kind of made it certainly made um, Bane in I forget which film it was Batman, uh, Batman Forever or something. Yeah, yeah. it made it basically made um, Iceman, the Riddler, and Bane. It kind of made them offshoots of the Joker's personality, and it kind of made them all the same villain. Really, and that's and they, they weren't. They're all very different in the comics. Yes. Um, you know, the Victor Freeze, he's not like a gangster like he was in, in Batman Forever. He's, he's a scientist. He's trying to cure his wife's condition. Uh, um, Bane, like I said, he's this genius that was born in hell, literally born in hell, and, and rose out of it. Mm. And the Riddler is like this narcissistic, insecure genius who just wants to prove his intellect is greater than Batman. Yes. <laughs> um, but he, but, and don't, don't get me wrong, Jim Carrey played him very well, uh, but I think that it would be better to look at that character as actually being the Joker and not the Riddler. Yes. Because the Riddler doesn't do all the maniacal laughing. So. He does, um, he, he, he's more of a, a puzzle person. Like you said, I love the uh, sort of intellectual superiority complex that he clearly has and in the batman games he makes these huge like sort of puzzles for for batman to figure out to be able to to basically capture him uh, and it's always got tvs so he's always got somebody watching and as you said earlier he has to be in front of an audience and it, it is kind of similar to the joker but the joker doesn't really you know the irony with the joker would be that the tv was turned off the entire time you know what I mean? Like in the sense that with the Riddler, he has to have somebody watching, but the Joker wouldn't really realise what he's doing. As uh, said in The Dark Knight, you know, he's a dog chasing his tail. He wouldn't know what to do with it if he caught it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I would love to see the Riddler in a proper sort of battle of wits with the Batman. We've seen so much action over the years uh, with, with the Batman. What do you think that would look like on the screen if you saw it? Well, I'm I'm hoping it would look like like some kind of Sherlock versus Moriarty kind of display. Oh yeah, I, I think that would be a good way a good way of looking at it. Like B, like BBC Sherlock Benedict Cumberbatch. Actually, Benedict Cumberbatch would probably be very good. He'd be a very good villain. I wonder, I wonder if he'd be maybe Joker. But anyway, that that's side point. Um. But Sherlock versus Moriarty was another battle of intellect. Um, and I, I think that would be a very a good way to look at it. Visioning all the scenarios of what could happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really he, good. He, Batman does do that. He, there, there's a joke that Dick Grayson gets like blown up and thrown out of a building or something. Um, and in, in his, his inner monologue, he says that Batman would have already thought of 30 different plan A's, A, B, C, D, all the way through, all the way to Z. 
um, and he would have already started on it and he would have already made a gadget that, <laughs> that could solve this problem. Uh, and Dick Grayson was just lying there in pain. <laughs> and it was like, like, like he, Batman, he never, he never switches off. Like no. it's always, he's always going. Uh, I, based on that, and I totally think so, because this is the funny thing about Dick Grayson is that there's a level of humanity that he brings to the arc when it comes down to yeah. listening to him talk. It's almost as if like he brings that sort of humor to realize that we're all dressed up in bat suits right now, guys. Like he he, he sort of makes everyone realize like we're full grown adults dressed all up in black, and he talks about the cows and and the funny stuff behind it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we're on our way to a Halloween party, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and and so I was going to say as well, with um, I think uh, within we we said a minute ago with Batman's sort of, I forgot we we were saying about Batman the Joe. Oh, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot what I was going to say there. Lost train of thought. <laughs> the, the in, we were talking about the intellect. That was really it. The different, the different scenarios, um, within the different scenarios. Something that I saw as a fun fact, and I don't know if you saw it recently, is that the Batman has like a a certain sleeping pattern that he he does in order to be able to fight crime all night. Did you did okay. you ever see this? I've I've often googled like when does Batman sleep. Um, the assumption is that he has some kind of Ubermoon schedule which is where you get like 10 minutes every three hours or something. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know how it would actually work. But obviously it is fantasy, so we have to just kind of accept. Obviously. <laughs> I was just intrigued because, like, you know, he, he fights during the night and then he just gets beaten up all day. And, they, you know, within all of these sort of books and TV series, he does get stabbed and he does get injured. And it's like, how do you... In order to recover, as you know, it's clearly fantasy, but at the same time, there's that level of realism to the Batman. You know what I mean? Like, the definitely. There, there was. I was thinking about this a little while ago um, because the character has uh, an eidetic memory, and so that's perfect recall. Eventually, he doesn't forget anything. Um, and I often wonder if, if I was to go and live in Tibet for two years and do nothing other than meditate what would actually happen to my brain when I came back or, or in that process, what would happen? How would it change? And could I make it so that I had a, an identity memory? Um, and I think that part of the, the character's backstory is that he spent time, you know, he, he was away from Gotham for like 10 years or something by travel the world and learned his craft. Um, and obviously there's, there's going to be the certain genetic traits and, uh, innate ability of you know innate intelligence and stuff, but I do often wonder if if you can I don't know increase your IQ to however high and increase your memory and your bubble fluency and this and that and the other and your imagination by meditating for long enough consistently um, because there, there's there's several studies that have been done on meditation and one of them is that it reduces inflammation and that can aid healing. So I do often wonder, like, if you spent, if you just spent long enough meditating, could you actually make yourself heal, <laughs> like, quicker than you I, would? I, I do see. Obviously, like, again, it's fantasy, but I, I see a comparison in my mind because I follow Shaolin monks uh, who are based in Germany, 
um, who do a lot of meditation, but they also combine it like Batman in the sense that it's to do with like, they do a lot of fighting. So they do Kung Fu and meditation and then they like have a fully sustainable life where they don't really need to buy or sell stuff. They just like survive off that. Um, and there is like a level of, you do look at that and think to yourself, like, is that how Batman, because they're warriors in their own right and they're real, like they're the representation in my mind in real life of what, you know, what Batman's whole beginning was in the sense that he was a monk who was a warrior and he learned how to control his body and his mind. Um, and I do like that relationship between the two of them. Do you think that you personally, if you had that time, do you, would you ever sacrifice that time to, to go away and, and stay with those people, maybe even for a couple of weeks or whatever? I, I've often thought that in my, you know, my time off in, in my work, that I, I would um, go to Bhutan or to Tibet or something and just, you know, just spend a month in a monastery, just yeah. meditating, just doing whatever, just living the simplest life you possibly could. Um, partly just to see what it was like, um, but also to see what, you know, to experience whatever changes you might have, personality changes and whatever else, um, through like mere constant meditation. Um, in the times that I've traveled recently, and I've had to be in quarantine for, I mean, the first time I was in quarantine was 25 days in a hotel room, and then recently it was two weeks in a hotel room. Um, I have often, I, I was thinking before I went in that I would just meditate and I'd do like eight hours a day meditation. Uh, and then when I got there, I just watched TV <laughs> pretty much the whole time. Um, so I think if you were in a situation where it kind of called for it, I probably would be happy to. But when there's other things to do, you know, when, when the, the distractions of modern day life, um, the distractions seem to be nicer almost. Um, do you think that? The reason why, and obviously we're, we're, we're crossing the boundary between realism and, and, and fantasy here in the sense of, of reality, but do you think the reason why um, Batman is able to remove the exterior, sort of the external life stuff is because he never had a normal life in the first place? Yes, definitely. Um, I think it's it because he had to construct his own psyche from the ground up in a sense, but because, because he was so damaged from his parents' death, it was kind of wrong from the start and so from the ground up it was like the foundations were missing almost um, and so he had to hold it all together um, through sheer will and discipline and I, I would imagine that the meditation probably helped with that mm. i don't know i don't know if i actually asked the question or not i may have had a no no I, i'm thinking to myself that that's that's the right way of going about it i think what i wanted to know further is like Bruce was never normal to begin with. You you said that, and do you think, based off the archetypes that we know, you know, the warrior, the magician, the lover from from Robert Moore's, I look at Bruce and I see that clearly the lover is broken from the beginning, immediately, and I see him solely based off the the warrior and the magician, and I think from my mind, do do you see? him ever becoming the king um in a in a kind of a pseudo shadow king kind of sense i would say yes because he does he is one of the founding members of justice league um but obviously the the justice league is uh, as a collection of archetypes in itself um, it is it's completed by the other people filling the gaps so 
on his own. I don't know. I mean, he's certainly king of his own castle. Yes. You know, he is the ruler of his own kingdom. Um, and what he set out to do, he does he does do it. Um, and so in that sense, he does, he does kind of fulfill the role. The One of the defining principles of a good king, though, is making the ground, the conceptual ground that is, is being inhabited by the, the citizen, is making it fertile for future growth. And I'm not sure he does that. However, um, in the in the comics, Bruce Wayne does do a lot of charity work, and he does do a lot of he does try to develop to redevelop the city of Gotham. Um, and so there could be it could be the idea that maybe Batman himself can't do it, but Batman and Bruce Wayne as one can fulfil the role. So yeah, maybe because oh, because uh, Bruce Wayne is a good is a lover. Yes, I, I I think that's a perfect answer because in the films, and I don't I'm not going to spoil anything, but we, we see that by the end of the third film, uh, and we see the sacrifice that he has to make in order to to make the soil fertile, as you put it, in the in the sense of Gotham in this sense. So based off what we've talked about so far, we've talked about quite a few characteristics around the Batman, and we've talked about the villains, and we've talked around the environment. We haven't talked a lot about Gotham in itself. Do you think that Gotham's environment spawns this? Or do you think it's the villains that spawn Gotham to become the place it becomes? Well, so Rachel Ghoul in Batman Begins says that when a society has reached the pinnacle of its decadence, we return to restore the balance. Um, and th there is this idea in, in the comic book that Gotham is kind of America's greatest city. Um, but it's this, you know, super, super wealthy at the forefront of modern technology. But it's held back, in a sense, by all the crime and corruption. Yes. Um, and so yeah, it's probably it's probably twofold. It's probably one. Actually, if we if just to take a step back a little. Yeah, bit, yeah, go for it. If you, if you imagine the city of Gotham is kind of like the landscape, the conceptual land, because obviously we're talking about fantasy here. It's the conceptual landscape of Bruce Wayne's psyche or the psyche of someone's character. Possibly Jim Gordon, um, but I'll, we'll just gloss over that for a second. Yeah. The city itself, it's solid, made of stone, gothic. It's got all these dragons and gargoyles everywhere, and like these statues of, of old people in times gone by. And it's kind of like, <clears throat> if you imagine modern day mythology is Batman is modern day mythology um, and so it's kind of like an updated version of the older stories of the gods and monsters uh, but with the more evolved more sophisticated psyche of a human being hmm. Ho hopefully you can follow that I don't know if that was um, but if you imagine the city the city represents the modern man's psyche right um, and so it's like access to resources, but also access to all of the bad stuff that yes. feels really good. So there's crime, there's drugs, there's sex, there's rock and roll everywhere. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the city itself made of stone, right? So if you imagine that in our evolutionary history, we've gone through stages of having to battle certain things within our psychology. Those things that we battle and not necessarily defeated, but made a part of ourselves, in, you know, integrated with our 
direction, forward direction. They've become set in stone. So they're now part of the structure of the city. Um, and so you see dragons, things like that. If you, if you imagine from, this is the Jordan Peterson idea, um, that the dragon, a, a mythological dragon is the, an, an amalgamation of all the natural predators that humans might face, even before we were humans. So that would have been things like uh, big cats, you know, claws, teeth, eyes, uh, snakes, reptiles, possibly reptilian birds. You know, so imagine that a dragon is, is kind of all of those things mashed together. Yeah. But they're no longer a threat to us. But they're still there. Uh, but they're, they're, so they're just kind of set in stone. That we can see them, but we don't pretend And then you have like gargoyles, which are, to me anyway, gargoyles, they, they kind of look like demonic figures. Yeah. Um, and so if you imagine like, if a dragon is the amalgamation of all natural predators, what would a demonic figure look like? Um, and so you can imagine what would that actually be? What's the, what would a, what amalgamation of characteristics is a demon? And to me, I would imagine it would be something along the lines of all of the evil and psychopathic tendencies that human beings can exert towards each other. So you have like, you know, like psychopathic smiles and predatory eyes and, you know, people committing evil things to each other. Um, and they're almost set in stone as well. But obviously the characters that inhabit the city of Gotham, they also exhibit those traits. So it's almost like we're not, we haven't evolved past all of those things yet. So they're not quite set in stone. So we can't ignore it. Am I making sense? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so like so let me recap. In my mind, from what I've heard, there is that the idea of the city itself is a conceptual representation of the sort of predators that are around the people, and there that these sort of well, it's, it's kind of funny that Batman sort of uses gargoyles as a way to get from rooftop to rooftop because they're the demonic representations of the thing that he's fighting. So. Yeah. Could you could you sort of like develop on that a little bit? Is that if the dragon hoards the the gold in in the scenario that Jordan Peterson sort of what is the gold and what is the dragon and in, in the in the sort of like representation of Gotham? Well, so I would I'm not sure if I could actually identify the gold that a demon mm. might hold, but may, maybe the the gold that um, a demon might be hiding would be something like the recognition of that character in you. Um, maybe that, you know, it's, so, so it's like a, a conceptual kind of goal. Yes. Uh, in a sense. And um, so in the I case didn't... of Bruce Wayne, his conceptual goal is to to vanquish the the what you class as the drugs, the sex, the rock and well, not the drugs, the sex and the rock, but the, the darkness from Gotham. Um, yeah. Because it's that—that's like the empty hole that's within him, created by the loss of his parents. Um, well, the, so the the loss of his parents created the lack of an idea, like think. So that's mm. why the. If you imagine the character like Superman, this is about like this describe it. I think a character like Superman or, or Captain America, they have very Christian-like values. Um, they're very good men, naturally. Um, and they don't really seem to struggle with being good men. Um, it's not like it's a battle for them. Yeah. 
like despite the fact that Clark is, you know, could literally tear apart the planet. He he has absolutely no innate desire to do that. Um, in, in all the times that he's ever done bad things, it's usually because he's been controlled by magic or by mind control or something. Yeah. Um, and this is the same with Captain America in Marvel comics. Whenever he's done that, it's always been like he got hypnotized by Hydra or something and you know, went the wrong way. Um, so so from just uh, taking aside from that, the Winter Soldier is kind of like Captain America's shadow. Yes. Just imagine that those two, they don't have any problem being good men. No. I think it's because they have high ideals. Um, and, it, and it's like they have, because Cass America is a Christian, I believe. Um, and so he has this idea of God. And so he never, he never identifies himself as being God. And Superman, uh, he says it a few times that he, he's bulletproof. And so for him to be, you know, to walk into gunfire, like it's nothing. Um, but for, for mortal men to do that, it, it's quite something because they can actually die. For and so he's very enamored by the human race and so on and so forth. But with, with Batman, he, in my mind, he's closer to the idea of the Nietzschean overman, the Superman, um, which is this character that has cast off the remnants of what you might imagine to be good and evil. Okay. And he's created his own ideal. It's, it's, sorry, sorry. That, let, me, let me rephrase that. Oh, sorry. Um, he, culturally speaking, we have ideas, we have moral values, right, which are passed down from generation to generation. Batman has cast those off because they're typically transferred to us through religious ideas and stuff and through fantasy and mythology. And they're given to us by our parents and the environment we grew up in. Batman didn't get that. Bruce Wayne didn't get that. So he had to create his own. And he decided that effectively anything he does that isn't murder in, is when it's in the pursuit of the good, it is in fact good. So the, so the, the means justify the ends. Or the ends justify the means. That's what it's yes. so, he, so he is totally willing to break someone's leg, to put them in a wheelchair, to fracture their eye socket, to knock a few teeth out. He's totally willing to do that. And he's willing to traumatize them <laughs> to, you know, to throw them into the Arkham Asylum and lock them away forever. And, and it's that lack of morality that you're talking about there, because that's sort of instilled normally within a Christian belief, the idea, you know, exactly. love thy neighbor. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so Batman, in my mind, he's the, he is kind of a, the mythological ideal of the Superman, the Overman. Nietzsche uh, spoke about and thus, thus spoke Zarathustra. Um, and so it's almost like the, the character came out of the idea of the death of God. Um, and the, the original creator, uh, Bob Kane, I think it was, he, he, there was also something in his mind, in his, in his imagination, that gave him this non Christian hero, right? And it's non, a non God like hero, it's just this vigilante going around beating people up. But he's aiming at the right thing. He's trying to help the city and, and so on and so forth. So you can think of him as a good man. Batman, though, he doesn't think of himself as a good man. He knows he, he knows deep down he's a, he's a bad person. Um, and there, there's a line in the graphic novel Hush, which is very good. If you haven't read it, I'd recommend it. Have a look. Um, basically, Superman is chasing Batman, and he's being mind controlled, and he's going to kill him. Um, 
and Batman's inner monologue is that if Clark wanted me dead, I'd be dead straight away because he was reduced to laser vision or a super speed of 10 pieces, and that'd be that. The fact that I'm able to get away um, is evidence enough. It, it, I, it's because I know Clark. Um, I, I, I won't try and say it verbatim because that's the point. But he basically says, um, deep down, Clark is a good person, and deep down, I'm not. Um, and it's at that moment he pulls out a knuckle duster which has kryptonite on it. Oh, wow. It. <laughs> yeah, it's I was wondering where that point was going then, and I was like, Jesus, <laughs> my God. And, it, and it's like, because he's totally willing to use Superman's weakness, his greatest weakness against him. Um, and it's, it's like, yeah, he, he, he knows full well he is not a good man. Um, the only the only thing is people think he's good because he aims at what he might be good. Something like that. I'm not sure I really got the point across there. What you you did, mate. You did. And I think I'm going to expand on that. Just, you know, nice, nice way to end the podcast here. Based off Batman not being, not, I think that he doesn't believe that he's a good man. And we're aware he's not the perfect hero. But based off the line that's used by Christopher Nolan, do you think he's the hero that Gotham deserves? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Because Gotham is corrupt beyond belief. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And because it's technically, techni- you know, you said it was technologically advanced. It's a conceptual representation of, of the people around it and their goals and their demons and as, as well as the, the dragon that is. And we can't identify the gold. And I'm really glad you said that because... I don't think there is anything to be found until Batman is born because it's so corrupt. There's not, the gold is so well hidden because of all of these demons that it's like something that you've got to scratch away at the surface to be able to find. And although that Bruce is a, you know, he doesn't believe he's a good man. And although Batman is not the perfect hero, I think that his belief that he can save Gotham and as you said, his aim to be a good person is the reason why he could be a hero. Um, and I, do, do you think that, you know, we, we see him forever trying to save Gotham. Do you think that's his saving grace, basically? Uh, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's kind of, he's kind of a tragic hero because he won't ever actually fully save Gotham. And part of the reason for that is that if he ever did, the one thing left in it that would be corrupt and not following the law and so on and so forth would be him. So then he'd have to just like get rid of himself. Um, so yeah, does that answer your question? It does. Oh, that's such a cool way to end the podcast because he himself is blocking himself from saving the thing that he wants to save. Oh, that's a brilliant. That's going to lead <laughs> so well into the series. We're going to be taking it a little bit slower because what we've done there is broken down a lot more things than we've been able to before in a shorter amount of time, but we're going to be able to tackle a lot more in these shorter spaces. And as Ollie has pointed out by, you know, saying that TV series tackle um, a lot more detail in characters like the Batman, we're going to try and do that with the podcast by breaking these sections down and and giving us ourselves enough time to be able to tackle these things in in depth. Yeah. Three three hours is a bit long to talk about. (laughs) Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Even though they're fantastic stories, but it, it get it got a bit longer. Yes, but we we're gonna do a better job. Uh, I'm gonna do a better job, 
And I think you've just summed up a great way for us to start the series and start the Batman trilogy. And I'll be honest, mate, I'm looking forward to just talking about, you know, everything else that comes with it and continue your knowledge and continue me learning um, about some of the stuff that I haven't seen from the Batman yet. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for having me on. Legendary. We continue this journey together down the, down the traversing underworld. And uh, as always, thank you, Ollie. And this has been a Taylor's Tales podcast. This has been Chris's Corner. I've been your host, Chris Taylor. And we hope to see you next time. Thank you so much.